Before I begin, let me just say thank you to the Chaussees. I know that uh, Pastor wants to be here, and he would be here, but one of the main reasons he's not here is because of me. He didn't want to get me sick, and uh, as another pastor, I appreciate that. He does want to pass it to you as well, but uh, we were supposed to spend the afternoon uh, with them and uh, fellowship with them, and that unfortunately can't happen, so we missed that. Um, Two years he has been here as pastor. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, has it? Um, But I'm very thankful for him. Um, I'm thankful that uh, he's committed to the text of Scripture. I'm thankful that I've got a pastor who I can uh, contact and just... Uh, talk about the Word of God, and uh, we have a great relationship. He'll call me for advice, and I'll uh, ask him, and he will email back and forth, and I appreciate that. It's always a great relationship. So I'm thankful for there's a shepherd out here that's taking care of my family's flock, and that's always a wonderful thing. So we appreciate that very much. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and go to two different portions of Scripture. The first one is Genesis chapter 2. The second one is Ephesians 5. So stick one finger in each passage, and together we're going to read these both here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Now, gentlemen, that is not what's going to happen in the service today for you, correct? I know you're working, I know it's hard, but it's not time for a deep sleep. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And notice that the woman that he's taking from a rib is not on the head of the man to be his authority. She's not under the feet of man to be his slave, but where is she from? The side, to be his completer and his partner. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, I know men like to hear this one preached often. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now, if we put a period right there, men, you can glory in your flesh. But what does the last phrase of that verse say? As unto the Lord. Is Jesus Christ ever abusive to the church? Never. Never. For the husband is the head of the wife, he is Christ the head of the church, the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Now husbands, love your wives, 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. So that's the Lord's blessing on our message here this morning. Father, as we look into the insights of Scripture this morning, we ask for clarity on this text of Scripture to gain an insight to what You have written in this perfect Word. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open unto this message today, that You would use it mightily to those folks that have attended this church this morning, and for those folks that may listen to the recorded nature of what's posted or given away. Lord, we pray that You would change our lives this day, that all of us could walk out of these doors a little bit more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I agree with John the Baptist when he said, I must decrease and You must increase. Hide this foolish preacher behind the cross of Christ that Christ alone might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On January 20th, 1961... John F. Kennedy took the oath of office to become the nation's 35th president. What may be considered as the most memorable speech in history for a president's inauguration, Kennedy started challenging Americans to serve and to sacrifice for this country. And that famous phrase came out, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, Ask what you can do for your country. He then continued his address by using his international audience to say, My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, what together we can do for the freedom of man. Do you remember that speech by John F. Kennedy? Maybe you weren't there, but I'm sure many of you have heard it. You know, as we view 2017 and as we live together here in this culture, I want to give you a message that I brought to our church as our theme for this year. I do this at the beginning of every year. We have our annual business meeting on the last Sunday in January of every month, and I bring our special challenge for our church to abide by every single year. And so this message is not a new one. It's not custom-tailored to you. It's actually preached for our own church family, but I think it's still applicable. And from the way that I started out the message in Genesis chapter 2 and Ephesians 5, does anybody want to take a stab of what my topic would be this morning? It kind of seems like I'm going to be preaching on marriage, doesn't it? Well, guys, I have some news for you. It's not marriage, okay? So you're off the hook. It would seem that it's marriage, and that's because there is a topic in which God ties marriage to inside the Word of God that is very important for the Christian to understand, and it's a topic that is very difficult in the culture in which we live. For example, what is the divorce rate of unsafe people in our country? Do you realize about one half of all marriages end in divorce inside the United States of America? Do you find that to be tragic? I do. It's only going up. But let me ask you this. Inside Christian homes or people who call themselves Christian homes, what is the divorce rate in the United States of America? Does it shock you that it's just about the same? If there's one thing that Christians should be different in, shouldn't it be that? Do you know why it's not? Do you know why it's not different? It's because 
We live in a culture that is very self-serving. That kind of has the attitude, instead of doing things for others, we live for our own selves. I think that has actually bled over into church philosophy. The function is no longer what can I do for God, but rather what can God and this church do for me? That's not the way that God intended it. Church is looked in such a disdain and horrible act to actually the you wackos that get up early to be here for Sunday school and go to church. Our culture doesn't understand that. Church has become inconvenient to my schedule. People look into coming to a local church as if they look at the pages of a movie to try to find out the right times is going to fit their time schedule. What will a church do to meet my needs? How will a church entertain me? And what am I in the mood for? And very church, few churchgoers actually seem interested in what they can give to the local church and how they can serve in the local church because they would rather see what it has for them. You know, and when you're looking for a local church, and Lord willing, none of you are this morning, but let me just say this. How many of you chose this church because what it could do for you, or rather, what you could do for God by serving through this place? You know, you have something very in common with our church back at home. We're not a large congregation. And so people will come through and visitors will come through. Oh, you guys don't have the big child's ministries that we want. You let your kids sit in the service. They should be out entertained somewhere. And there's nothing wrong with junior church, but it should never be a point of entertainment, right? Well, you know, your teen ministries, they don't have laser tag on this night. They don't have all these activities. They don't do this and they don't do that. It's rather entertaining for our kids. Our kids need to be entertained. Really, where did you find that in the New Testament? Church is not about what you can get here. Church is about what you can give. And so is that really what God wants of you is what you can get from this place? Well, you know, Ephesians chapter 5 is a wonderful passage of Scripture based upon the example of marriage. What is God's plan for marriage? Well, we just read it in Genesis chapter 2. One man, one woman, one lifetime. The two become one flesh. Are they inseparable? Nope. Can you take two yokes, mix them together, and now pull them apart as individuals again? Nope. Does it happen? Sure does. I'm from a divorced family. Sinfulness does happen to the human race, but that's not God's plan for us. What does God want? Here's what I want to do. I want to read through Ephesians chapter 5 again. The first time that I read it, you were looking at husband and wife. Don't look at husband and wife through the passage this time. I want you to look at the church through this passage one more time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be subject unto husbands and everything. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it, the church, to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it, the church, should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are many, for we are members of this body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined in his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and what? The church. Nevertheless, not every one of you in particular so love his wife, he did himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let me ask you this. What is Ephesians chapter 5 all about? The church. Now, there are applications for husband and wife here, aren't there? But is that the primary function of Ephesians 5? No. Because in verse 32, Paul writes, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This whole passage is showing the church as the bride of Jesus Christ. Have you heard that term before? That's its function in Ephesians chapter 5. And so the church being the bride is an illustration for some of us that seems kind of odd. Now we have quite a few of you that are married here today. Have you ever tried to think of the church as the bride of Christ? Together they are one unit. Together they function together. Together they have peace and unity if they follow the way that God intended. Revelation 19, chapter 21, again, focus on the bride of Christ. We shall attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is that supper celebrating? It's the marriage of the church to whom? Jesus Christ. And so this church being the bride is very important. That relationship between bride and groom is the very first task for us to understand in serving our Lord. But the local church is very important to understand some things. First of all, do you realize the local church is the place where your new life in Christ is lived out and proven to be genuine? Now I understand that you can be Christians outside of a church, but that's not God's will for you. Joining a local church will not save you. Only Christ can do that through shed blood. But a local church puts your behavior on display for the world to see. It's God's program for today. So let me ask you something for a moment. If the church is the bride of Jesus Christ, what is the difference between a girlfriend and a bride? I jotted nine, seven things now. I think it was originally nine. I streamed it down to seven. Number one, a girlfriend wants a particular man all to herself. 
A bride has the legal right to have her man all to herself. A girlfriend, number two, may desire to be part of a family, but a bride is legally part of a family. Difference number three. A girlfriend does not require deep commitment. A bride requires for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for good. Difference number four. A girlfriend is financially independent. A bride is a partner and imperative to financial stability. Number five. A girlfriend thinks she knows everything about you and is delighted. A bride knows she has just scratched the surface and knows she never signed up to pick up your dirty socks. Not in my house. Difference number six. A girlfriend holds back her deepest secrets in fear of rejection. A bride shares intimate knowledge in no way that anyone else on earth deserves as her husband. Difference number seven. A girlfriend seeks to maintain a commitment, but a bride seeks to keep a covenant till death do us part. The Bible describes the relationship between Christ and His church as what? A bride. Do you personally view your relationship with Christ as a bride or as a girlfriend? Ah, pastor, we would all say, I'm the bride! But how would you act to describe that relationship? Because we know the old saying, actions speak louder than words, don't they? Are you wanting to court Christ rather than fall head over heels in love with Him? Because courting is a lot more convenient and requires less commitment than actual marrying Him. You know, today in our church era in 2017, we have a lot of believers, but we have very few belongers. I know belonger is not a word, but you get the point, don't you? A lot of people will profess with their mouth what they believe, but not many of them stick around and actually show you what they're made of. What benefit does having Christ as a boyfriend actually do for you? There is none. You know, dating is kind of a trial period inside of a relationship where your commitments are soft and your relationships are tentative and you keep your options open. Dating is feeling out those two people are meant to be married. Marriage is a covenant relationship of devotion and sacrifice and pain and difficulty and joy. In biblical marriage, you've burned your bridges and there's no turning back. You only have eyes for whom you've pledged yourself to. Dating is not that way. Committing to act like a bride of Christ is to do your work through the local church the way that God has demanded that you do it. And rather than actually tying you down as some would view commitment to a church today, Jesus Christ is the anchor through the local church. It's a girlfriend who will always be unstable in her ways. And since the church is the centerpiece of the gospel inside this dispensation of grace, it has to be central in your life. You know, some people view pastors as the only people inside the, on the planet that should have their families revolve around the local church. Oh, pastor, church is what you do, but that's not reality for everybody else. Really. 
Sounds like you have a girlfriend mentality to me and not the bride of Christ. If we together as a church are the bride of Christ, should we not be committed that God's church takes priority in our lives? It should be at the focal point. Yes, I believe when the doors are open, you should be here. That is God's passion. That's commitment of marriage, not dating. So let me ask you this this morning. By your actions, are you the girlfriend of Christ or are you the bride of Christ? I want to command you this morning, my proposition is very simple. Be the church that God created. That's all you have to do. That's God's command. Be the church that God created. Enjoy Jesus Christ as the groom as you are the bride. That word church that we find all throughout this passage is not man's idea. Some people are confused and say, oh, religion and church, that's invented by man. No, not at all. This word church is the Greek word ekklesia. It means to call out. Literally, you are the called out ones that God has called out of this world to be in the light of Jesus Christ. And so He has a purpose and a love and a passion for you as His bride. He grants to you the gift of life through faith when you believe. He makes it possible to you for you to find peace that passes all understanding all through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so I want you this morning to be the church that God has created you to be. But it's an individual effort that you have to do. And so I want to take a survey of Ephesians this morning very quickly and show you what God commands you to be. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Number one, The church is the official representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. The church is an official representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. Remember, inside biblical marriage, the two become one flesh. Your pastor is not here today because he is ill. But his spouse is. She's working and serving over in the other building with the children. But yet, the pastor's family is here ministering and serving. I want you to think of this idea now that we go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 9. So then, oh, new Bible. I'm in Galatians. I usually travel with my huge Bible on vacation, but this year I went slimline. So when you try to read the notes, everything's too super small, so you get you miss books. Ephesians chapter three, verse nine. And to make all men see what the fellowship of the mystery, for which the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now one of the principalities and powers in heaven, heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We talk about mystery. When you see that word mystery inside the New Testament, it always refers to the church. Israel, if you can think of it this way, is on one mountaintop 
looking for Jesus Christ to return and set up His kingdom on the other mountaintop. But inside the mountaintop, there is a dip in a valley. When you're looking mountain to mountaintop, do you see what's in the valley? No. Israel did not understand that inside the valley, there's a time in which God will put His plan and focus on the church. It is a mystery that they never saw coming. And so when we find out that today we are the mystery of God, why are we here? It's because of this. There is no other program to lead men to Jesus Christ. There is no other method of spreading the Gospel and the news of Jesus Christ. God has chosen you as part of the church to be His manifestation, His representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. Can you ponder those implications for a moment? What if you don't want to be His representative? Is there a plan B? There is no plan B. You are it. And that creates an awesome responsibility, doesn't it? God plans out this responsibility for how long? Look at this in verse 9. And to make men see what is fellowship of mystery from the beginning of the world. Isn't it interesting that God had us in mind for how long? Since the beginning. The church is no accident. We are part of His eternal plan. And get this, I would even say this. It's not that God chose to call the church His bride because of Genesis 2. But rather, God created the whole idea of marriage to illustrate how much He loves His church. That may seem kind of backwards to you because marriage comes first in Genesis chapter 2. But in the mind of God, which came first? It's the eternal thought. It can't be separated. God has no time. He has no limit. But God chooses this illustration so that we can know the romance and the passion that He has for His people. There is one grand purpose in creation found in verse 10. To the intent that unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. It's not enough that the myriads of angels in special ranks know. God wants everybody to know. It's interesting how 1 Peter 1.12 says that the angels are fascinated by us. Why? Because the angels aren't just seeing brand new change individuals. They are rather seeing a new creation of God reaching down and making a brand new structure that they have never seen before. Do you know what that structure is called? The church. It's you. God has a plan that's eternal, if you look at verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the question is whether or not you are committed to God's perfect plan since the foundation of this world in the mind of God for all of eternity. You know, two sisters were playing together. One was an eight-year-old and one was a five-year-old. Martha was the eight-year-old. Jenny was the five-year-old. Jenny was not interested a bit in playing with Martha. 
Because Martha wanted to play school. An eight-year-old likes school. A five-year-old hasn't started school necessarily, so there's no love or affection for school. And so Jenny kept telling Martha, no, no, I don't want to play school. And Martha kept pushing the issue. Finally, little Jenny conceded and said, okay, I'll play school with you, but mark me absent for the day. And she walked away. You know, that attitude is held by many Christians inside the local church. Oh, you know, I'll join the church. I'll come out once in a while and support. I'll give a little bit of my earnings. I'll give a verbal amen here once in a while. But you know what? When it comes down to the nitty-gritty, I don't really feel like being the bride of Christ. So mark me absent when I want to be absent. You know, some of you agree to play along, but there's no passion or commitment to actually prefer the eternal plan of God as the bride of Jesus Christ. How committed are you to this plan? Doesn't Hebrews 10.25 say, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as some of you have already done? You know, you need to view the church as God created it. You are the official representations of heaven on this earth. There is no other. There is no plan B. And if you're not going to do it, nobody else is going to get it done. God has chosen you to be His bride in His church. Number two, God has chosen you not only to be a representative, but to be a body. Go to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.22 And hath put all things under His feet. That is, God hath put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church. Now what is the church according to verse 23? Which is His body the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. The church is called what? The body of Christ. She is not just a representative. She is a body. This is how close the church is to God's heart. Can you get any closer? You know, but just as any body, it's not a regular body. Whose body does this church belong to? Jesus Christ. So after He bodily ascends, Christ continues His work on this earth through His body, the redeemed people. Members of that body follow Jesus Christ as their head. Again, it's another picture. You're all gawking at me this morning. I've got a body and I've got a head. The head controls everything else. For those that have brain injuries, what happens to the body? It suffers, doesn't it? Why? Because God has put a machine in our skulls called the brain. And that machine is to function and control the whole body as the head. That is Jesus Christ. And so the church is the body as not just a casual metaphor. It's actually a close argument that we should live for Christ very carefully. We don't have time to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it actually explains that as all of us are many members of one body, 
even though we have different roles, we still are necessary inside the body. Now listen, you ever go to a church and not have an appreciation for some of the people there? Be honest. Yes. You know that mouth? It's too big and it talks too much sometimes. You know those feet over there? They're kind of stinky. You know that nose? That's awfully sensitive. Do we have a right to criticize other parts of the body? No. Over the last year, I've suffered a little bit physically. Last year, after I left Montana, I went home and all of a sudden developed gout in, uh, in my foot. And unfortunately, that gout came in where I also had that foot surgically repaired three different times. And it was a long time to get that gout under control. And it was not very fun. When you step down on an injured member of the body, another part of the body has to compensate for that injury, doesn't it? So if my left foot has gout, who's doing all the work to get me from point A to point B? My right foot. And so we together, as the church, work even though when some are stinky, sensitive, and in pain because we are the body of Jesus Christ. And it's only when we collectively as a whole, instead of turning our focus on how bad the body is, recognizing that Jesus Christ should be the head who controls it all, can we actually exist the way that God intends? Let me illustrate it this way. Andy, Judd, and I have a tradition that in the fall every year we like to go to the fair. In the fair, the particular one that we go to, they have those cutouts that have the body of an animal, but you stick your face into the hole and have somebody take a picture. You know the one I'm talking about? And so they'll have some in the chicken house. You know, they'll have some near the goats. There's always funny that we go and we take, we put our heads into these bodies that don't match. Let me ask you this. If Jesus Christ is the head, how do you look as his body? Do you match? Or do you look rather silly with the behavior that you act in sin, despising Jesus Christ as the head? Not submitting to him. Being out of place. Are you a misfit? Or are you someone that falls in line with the body? You are the church. Be the church that God created. You are the bride. You are the representative of the church on, of God on earth. There is no plan B. You are the body. But number three, you are a living structure. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. What does God see when He looks at the church? He sees a building program. What is God building through His local church? 
His temple. The foundation of God's temple is built upon Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. The building blocks of the temple are individual believers that Jesus Christ has placed one upon another. What happens if one of the bricks of the foundation says, I don't feel like being there anymore. I'm going on vacation. How's the structure? It's going to be weakened, isn't it? 1 Peter 2.5 says that we are living stones. In the Old Testament, God's presence in this world was manifested inside the tabernacle in the wilderness. If you can think about that for a moment. The Israelites come out of Egypt. God begins leading them with a cloud or a pillar of fire depending on day or night. But at the end of the day's march, God now ascends down out of heaven to come into the tabernacle in which He will dwell in the middle of His people every single day. God on earth sitting on the Ark of the Covenant as His throne. Can you imagine seeing that take place? Would have been awesome. It does take place today. Where is God sitting now? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, for you are bought with a price? Your body as a believer is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Just on a side note, some people say, well, pastor, should Christians get tattoos? I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit if He wants graffiti on His temple. Look at verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto the holy temple of the Lord. That word idea that grow jointly fit together. Fitly framed. It's a carpenter's term here in this Greek language. It's the framework of a building. The materials are prepared and put in their proper places. And so the church must be having its proper building in its proper place. What if the floor joists decide that it doesn't feel like showing up one day, support the building? Or what happens if the rafter wants to become a dishwasher? We get issues, don't we? This word groweth is growing, it's present active, is continually growing is the thought. The church is the growth of a living organism as people, not mere increase of a building. You know, years ago there was a variety show where guests appeared on one of the most popular bodybuilders on the planet, and the crowd went crazy as this massive muscled man entered the stage. He had his huge muscles and he began to flex and show his power. After a brief demonstration, the bodybuilder sat down and prepared to receive questions from the audience. The first question asked him this, What do you do with all those muscles? What do you use them for? And so without answering at all, the bodybuilder stood up and started flexing his muscles and the crowd went wild. Well, second time, the question was asked, What do you do with all those muscles? And again, the bodybuilder stood up and flexed his muscles, but the crowd's reaction wasn't so loud this time. He sat down and the person asked for the third time, what do you actually do with all those muscles? The bodybuilder just sat there in silence with no answer. The man possessed tremendous, tremendous amounts of power, 
But his power had no purpose except for bringing attention to himself and actually showing off. You know, for some of you, church is the same way. It doesn't have a purpose except that it makes you look good because you appease yourself and your conscience by showing up on a Sunday. So you flex your muscles and show everybody how holy that you are. You show your spiritual muscles by showing your Bible accuracy and how much you've memorized and how much you know. But when it comes to actually committing to God's purpose through this very place by serving and worshiping Him here, your muscles may be useless. Some of you, unfortunately, and I don't know who you may be, simply pad the pews with your muscles because you're not willing to work. That type of person, don't you dare ask them to work or get dirty inside the church and serve others. They don't have that kind of time and they don't have that kind of desire. They're much more comfortable looking good and courting Jesus Christ as a girlfriend and not the bride. You know, do you realize this? If you legitimately are a Christian, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. It doesn't work. When you're saved from sin, you become something bigger. You become a bride. You become a representative. You become a body. You become a temple. And it's through the local church that God is glorifying Himself and transforming sinners into saints. And if you're going to court Christ instead of being His bride, you know who you're cheating? Yourself. First of all, you're cheating your local church. And think of this, you're cheating the world that God sent you to try to share the message of Jesus Christ. Your life, if you are a believer, is bigger than you. Every single life out of the 8 billion people on our planet will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And God has chosen you as His holy muscle to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you really want to be a girlfriend when you can be a bride? View the church as God created it. Be the church that God created. You're a bride. You're a representative of God on earth. You are the body of Christ and you are God's temple. Now, let's see if you're paying attention because I'm going to end in a quiz. How do I know if I'm a dater or a quarter or a bride? Let's get applicable. Number one. A dater or a quarter has a me-centered attitude. They go to church for what they can get. Social interaction, programs, activities. The common question of the church dater is, what can this church do for me? What does God demand? Worship. You don't come to church to get. You come to church to give. Number two, a dater is independent. They go to church because that is what Christians are supposed to do if they show up at all. And they are careful to avoid getting involved in too much activity, especially with people. They don't pay much attention to God's larger purpose for them as a vital part of a specific church family. And they go through the motions without really investing themselves. That's a church dater not the Bride of Christ. Number three, 
A dater tends to be critical of the body. They are short on their allegiance and quick to find fault in their church. They treat the church with a consumer mentality, looking for the best product for the best price for their Sunday morning. They are fickle and not invested in the long term. And like a lover with a wandering eye, they're always looking for something more romantic and better instead of being committed to the beautiful thing that God has done in this very place. Number four, the dater knows something else is simply more important to him rather than God's program to redeem mankind through the local church by Jesus Christ. The dater knows that his priorities are much bigger than God's. Let me ask you this. Has the alarm clock ever gotten gone off and you go, oh, i got to go to church today? Be honest now. I'm a pastor and that happens to me. Oh, again? You mean i got to get up at 5 a.m., get everything ready, get the kids out on time? You know, when you have two kids, it's hard enough. When you have some what you have, it's much more difficult, isn't it? Satan always seems to block you and make you stumble so things don't go right on Sunday morning. One of my guys last week called and said, Wow, Pastor, it's amazing how Satan fights when Pastor is away to actually start a church service. I said, Brother Dave, welcome to my Sunday. Every single Sunday Satan fights. But what does God want from you this morning? Does He want you to be a dater? Does He want you as a girlfriend? Or are you committed to being the bride of Christ? Do you have a me-centered attitude? Are you independent? I praise the Lord that this is an independent Baptist church, but that's not what we're talking about. Your spiritual life must be dependent on the Word of God preached through this place. Are you a dater because you're critical of the church? And do you put your own priorities above God's? You know, my challenge to you is just simply looking at the command of God. Be the church as God created it. You are the bride. You are the representative of God on earth. No plan B. You are the body. You are the temple. You are not a girlfriend. Be the church as God created it. Father, I pray that we would not look at church as a casual spiritual experience that we use a check mark to check off on a weekly basis, but that every single family and representative here today, every single child, every single young adult, every single young person would understand that our lives must revolve around the Son, Jesus Christ, and that He has chosen and called out this local church for them to be a part of, Father, it's such an easy temptation to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But Father, that leads to disaster. I pray, O oh Lord, that You would have these people committed as the bride of Christ, not for better, for worse, but for good. And that this church would take the mentality found in our culture of marriage being convenient to realizing the covenant of Jesus Christ between His people is not breakable. 
Father, if we look at Ephesians 5, we see that Jesus Christ would never break off the marriage with His church. And we need to hold that commitment on this side as well. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.